The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Stephen Kemper is a music technologist, composer, and instrument designer. As a composer, Stephen creates music for acoustic instruments, instruments and computers, musical robots, dance, and video. He is a co-founder of Expressive Machines Musical Instruments, a collective dedicated to designing, building, and composing original music for robotic instruments. He has received awards from the Ammerman Center for Arts and Technology, Meet the Composer, the Danish Arts Council, and the International Computer Music Association. Stephen received a PhD in Composition and Computer Technologies from the University of Virginia 
and is Associate Professor of Music Technology and Composition in the Music Department at the Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. On today's podcast, we'll hear his work, Boyle Heights Rhythm Analysis Two, performed by percussionist Mike Truesdale. I think that this has changed over the course of time, but I feel that now I just sort of mine ideas that appear in my own life. Uh, Sometimes those are based on previous things that I've done. Sometimes they're based on things I hear, like other, other work. Some of the most interesting creative thinking moments I have are actually during concerts or other performances. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody said that like during boring concerts, they have like their best, their best ideas. <laughs> it might be during great concerts too, yeah. you know, and that's actually interesting to think about how the pandemic has impacted that. Sure. Maybe I'm not getting those moments, but, um, right. you know, I usually try to come up with a concept. I think that all of my work now is based on a concept. The idea of sort of sitting, sitting and thinking about making music, making art, without that at this point seems a little bit terrifying to me or that I might just like meander around. So usually I start with a concept. So you're saying like the idea of sitting down with like a pencil and paper in front of a piano and just like writing symphony number one, that's, that just seems unproductive. I think that it's not in the current, my current state, it's not that interesting to me. I I always think like, oh, well, at some point in the future, when I'm done, like worrying about the things I want to worry about now, I'm just going to like sit down and write some music and like not, Mm -hmm. not worry about it. But, you know, I think that now a lot of it is thinking, okay, well, where is this going to end up? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm no longer working in a vacuum. Um, So where is this going? What's the audience? What's, what's the purpose of this? And I think a lot of the things that I end up doing, they end up either being inspired by collaborations or sort of stemming out of collaborations. And then there's some product that needs to happen, just trying to work through some ideas. So not, not thinking about the music as like what note should come next, but thinking about the processes and sort of how, how can I engage with a process and where is that going to take me? Do you find that there's sort of a creative you and a not creative you and you have problems sort of transitioning between the two? That's an interesting question. I think that I apply a lot of, I think that I spend a lot of creative energy in very uncreative ways. Uh, Now, I I think that I, and maybe sometimes I wish that I reserved more of the creativity for the supposedly creative things that I'm doing. You know, so for example, teaching, I feel like I try to be creative in my approach to teaching. So I think that my creativity as a, my, my creativity as a person, it's not limited to things that are traditionally thought of as creative we tend to think, oh, music is creative. So if you're making music, you're being creative. And designing industrial robots is not creative, it's functional. So you can't be creative doing that. And I think that that's wrong. I think that it's very easy to be uncreative making music. And it's also easy to be creative in solving problems society doesn't view as creative. You know, you've worked for many years with expressive robots or expressive machines. When you're soldering a component, yes, are you okay. actually are you 
are you doing a creative act or is that electrical engineering or mechanical engineering? Yeah. And I love that question because there, you know, there have been many, many sort of workshop moments and, uh, Scott Barton and I Mm -hmm. used to joke a lot like, Oh, my, uh, my training in orchestration did not prepare me for like uh, how to solder these components. Or I wish how... there were more business courses. I wish there yes. were more. <laughs> or no, I mean, just like, oh. Uh, um, even recently, I, I've been working on this robotic wind chimes and mm-hmm. you know, I need to make a box for like the electric components and it needs to be like, you know, and so I've been spending the past couple of weeks designing something to 3D print. Um, and in some ways it's frustrating, like yeah. it's frustrating because I think it doesn't feel creative. I'm like, oh, I found these pipe clamps that I can use. Like to me, it's like, that's sort of a creative moment, but it's not like music making. It's not. Or binding a score right. or dealing with, kind of thing. dealing yeah. with, you know, a score, you know, uh, or like maintaining your, your website. Or something well, like exactly. Or promoting yourself or right. doing out outbound uh, marketing, you know, you're like, right. Well, wait, this in the true Schaeferian, you know, uh, idea of what a, you know, as chromatic composer would be like, it, was he spending time doing outbound marketing? Like, and right. of course he was because we right. remember his name. <laughs> so, right, right, right. So and somebody think, was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that there's a level of work that you need to do to yeah. accomplish what you want to do. And with the robots, it's, it's definitely hard to find that balance. Um, so I find myself actually, despite what I said earlier, I kind of find myself in a sort of building mode and then in like exploring the instrument mode. Um, it's hard for me to switch back and forth. And so I find myself spending like a few weeks or something doing one. And then hopefully when I get to a certain point, I'm like, all right, enough. Like, I don't care. Like, it's fine. Uh, let me spend some time just working on making sound with this thing. So the piece Boyle Heights is based on uh, field recordings and site visits to the neighborhood of Boyle Heights, which is in East Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, For anybody who's not familiar with the neighborhood, it is a primarily Mexican-American working class neighborhood that in recent years has been in the news uh, as it has been at the forefront of battles against gentrification. So the piece Boyle Heights, which is part of this rhythm analysis series, and the idea of rhythm analysis uh, comes from the French philosopher Henri Lefebvre's idea of uh, 
the way that urban soundscapes change and the, the changing nature of the soundscapes mm-hmm. and how that that forms a kind of rhythm of the sound world. And so for, you know, for example, this concept came out of the idea of field recording and sort of what I liked and didn't like as much in, in the area of field recordings. I mean, I love, you know, natural sounds, urban sounds. There's a somewhat prevailing idea in the world of soundscape composition, I think, and not everybody is like this, but it's this idea of like, let's preserve this perfect natural environment in sound. So it's privileging the, in a like Schaeffer would say, Mm -hmm. it's kind of privileging the pre-industrial soundscape. And I felt that there were very few places in this world where one can go where you're not involved in some way in the, um, in that soundscape, in the pre-industrial soundscape. So even if you're out in the woods in New Jersey or Massachusetts or Vermont even probably, you know, there's sounds, there's a highway somewhere, there's other things. And so we live in this sound world. And I think that, you know, to try to understand it and try to embrace it, like what is happening in the sound world we live in, not the sound world we want to live in, not the sound world where we filter out the sounds we don't want, but the sound world where this is what we're in. So what, what is it and how do we deal with it? I don't know that this work was exactly inspired by like a sound walk, but I think mm-hmm. it was, well, actually, I guess it was inspired by just doing some field recording, just yeah. sort of standing in a corner um, with some colleagues of this group, LA Listens, uh, that I worked with. Um, so we had picked some sites in LA just to try to understand this urban soundscape thing more and the way that the sounds kind of relate to specific neighborhoods and just stood there and recorded on a corner for, you know, an hour or something like that. And it brings to mind this kind of like Jack Kerouac, like I'm going to stand on the corner and like listen yeah. to, like I'm going to experience the art world or the world in this sort of artistic lens. Like this is a concert, right? It's happening or something. Right. Yeah. It is sound. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that that is inspiring. And I think that, having a field recording or any kind of recording to sort of start from tends to be just an entry point for myself for creativity. So it's like, this is what I have. What can I make out of it? Rather than like, I'm going to sit in front of the blank logic screen and how can I develop? Right. Yeah. Or start with a soft synth or or notes on a page or, you know, going to a concert. So that's something interesting about the piece. So I noticed sort of the first minute or so or two minutes of the piece we have what almost sounds like a a, a sound walk or or yeah. or field recording where you you say you're hearing cars passing there's this swelling of the marimba there's this swelling of the traffic and sort of the, the periodicity or the periodicness of that i did notice then around two minutes and then sort of moving ahead into four minutes and about halfway through the piece uh, we now have a very distinct marimba line, um, and then the fixed part, uh, or the fixed media, or the the field recording, mm-hmm. that starts to have sort of an imposed rhythm on it. It, it felt uh, more than just a, we're documenting traffic here. There was some manipulation. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I should say that the the three sonification moments that kind of break up the different sections of the piece, those are sort of literal output from the computer. Mm-hmm. And the other movements are actually composed. So the, the first section, I kind of took this idea of like old radios. It uses field recording, contemporary field recordings, but then processed in a way to sort of make it sound like an old radio, like sure. 
maybe what you imagine might be happening. Um, and then I took this Jewish worker song, Daishuve, and used the sort of melody and rhythm of that to kind of structure that in a way that actually for me is very like, I'm just going to sit down and write some music that's based on this. Yeah. Um, and then the second section is actually based on a song that was playing or songs that were playing in uh, a passing car yeah. at a moment in the field recording. And then it's yeah. sort of like, I kind of just wrote, wrote a thing about like that came out of that. Yeah, it was really organic, this sort of swoosh of a car driving by. And then all of a sudden we hear a little bit of right. music coming out of that car. And then, you know, a la like Salon de Mexico, you know, like this, all of a sudden now we had this like, the marimba is now interpreting that in, yeah. in, it, in with, with notes. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny because I feel like this is, I know this is an experimental process. And I think the process is experimental, but the results here are, are probably the yeah. least experimental sounding thing I've ever written. It's like sort of the most yeah. consonant because, you know, my feeling was that this sort of thinking about this piece, like it demanded, it couldn't be abstract. I felt like there needed to be a connection with the actual sounds and sound world of the neighborhood. Thank you. 
at a certain point, I think that all of my music is based on tools mm -hmm. and sort of comes out of creative usage of tools that I've largely created for myself. So for example, this piece stems from, you know, the field recordings and the methodology of processing those field recordings. Um, so, you know, the sort of MIR based tools that I developed or this form the structure of this piece. Um, yeah, there are, there's a lot of creative liberty in various sections and things like that, but I, I'm relying on tools to kind of mediate the infinite possibilities of creativity. Um, you know, that's true with the robots. That's true with the collaboration I do with my um, collaborator, Ari Sue, with the um, wireless sensor interface that we've, we've done a lot of projects with. It's like the tool determines the musical outcomes to some extent in a way that makes me feel happier about reducing the infinite possibilities. I think you're right. I think the tools can limit the uh, uh, infinite possibilities. There's there's a statement about that, a counterstatement to the tools that um, the tools shouldn't define what you do. I, I mean, I understand where that point comes from. I disagree with it in terms of my own. I mean, I think that there's a my own work. I think there's an idea, especially coming out of like music school and the modernist mm -hmm. legacy of mm -hmm. people of your and my generation sort of had yeah. to deal with where it's like, you know, the artwork is this like conceptually pure object yeah. and the means to like getting there are always going to be sort of imperfect. So whether that's like, well, you know, I wrote this really amazing score and the best reproduction of I get, it's like, we're almost got there by these performers. We didn't quite get there or something. Like, I don't, I don't think that way anymore. I think that, you know, for me, the tools that I've built are part of the art. I mean, it's part of the process and you know, that may be easiest to see with the robots. Um, right. You know, it's not that I've thought, I mean, they, you know, try to think about the visual design in some mm -hmm. way, but what they can do and what they can't do determines the music that I make with them. Thank goodness, because otherwise, <laughs> where do like you start? I, yeah, it's like, like oh, I made go? a tool. What can I do with a tool? Let's figure it out. Yeah. Like to me, that's exciting and fun and more fun than like, let me sit with all of the infinite possibilities that, you know, composing a traditional, in a traditional way affords. Mm -hmm. I also think that it brings up new sort of understandings and new perspectives. Not that it makes new sounds necessarily. I don't think that's even possible, but it makes new connections of ideas. Well, um, Stephen, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, it's been great talking to you. It's been great catching up. Um, before I let you go, um, is there a place that people can go to find out more about you and your music? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my website is stephenkemper.com. Um, I'm also on social media in ways that are hopefully easily findable. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much. This has been really, really nice to talk about things. And again, great to, great to see you and Absolutely. talk as well. Thanks to Stephen Kemper for sharing his piece, Boyle Heights, Rhythm Analysis 2, performed by Mike Truesdale. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.